0: I'm, yeah, I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg with some certainty.
1: And we are the CRM players. Technical difficulties aside, very glad to be here.
0: Yeah, you know what? We are, although I don't know about where, where it is where you are, but it's freezing up here. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like not even, it's probably 50 degrees and it's, it's just generally and it's windy so it's like it's 40 now right. it's cold it's outright cold outside not chilly
1: not cold at all down here it's a beautiful sunny day here in the atl and and yes finn finn wanted to make sure absolutely sure he had the first comment so this is the comment that came in at two minutes before the show and we were running a little late but Sven wanted to make sure that we saw this comment. So this is the comment that he just sent in. <laughs> so Sven, so so, you are duly present and accounted for.
0: You are first and second draft pick today, <laughs> cool. right? Um, yeah. You know what? I, I'm guessing on the language here, and this is a guess, because I have no clue really, that it's some form of like Celtic or Gaelic or something like that. Because the only reason I'm saying that I'm sure if it was Gaelic or Celtic it would have these weird accents, but you can't reproduce them. But the 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 last like six letters or so of the last word are kind of a a, a, a combination. I see a lot in those languages. Again, Gaelic, Celtic. I don't know what I don't honestly know what the difference is. But uh, but um, and it could be. Irish or Scottish, and I'm not sure there is a difference between them when it comes to Gaelic. But it I think like that's it could be it anything. Is. Well, I'm saying it's my guess is Scottish Gaelic. Oh, look at this. No, I know I saw him say that. That's oh. I, said, that
1: <laughs> I thought, wow, you really do know I your was ahead of it. I was ahead of this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Scottish right. Gaelic. Okay. I thought it was Gaelic. I again I couldn't tell you the difference between Scottish and Irish. He's not only amazing. He's also
1: very uh, venerable. I, 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 I knew that was coming. Kind of guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, we are glad to be here. We actually, you know, had a had a little technical issues on our side. We have a really special guest coming up. You know what I'm doing? I'm looking to the wrong camera again because right? I'm not. <laughs> right. I'm not used to looking directly at this. Um, oh, look who's here!
0: Hey, Zach, how you doing, man? Hey, Mitch. Wow, I'm ahead Absolutely. of myself on the. I, I'm actually anticipating the comments. You really are. I knew. Are. I knew Zach was coming. <laughs>
1: uh, you, you have ESPN apparently, so that's, a, that's apparently. a good thing. Oh, and look, now we're getting Yankees.
0: Uh, yeah, stuff no, Mike. Going so there. Michael, Michael is actually the head of Adobe Retail. He's awesome. Oh, He's cool. a huge Yankees fan. And by the way, the Yankees are winning four-two in the. Top of the sixth against the Orioles. They were trailing two nothing. Scored four runs in the bottom of the fifth. Is it like a don't day worry. night double yeah, kind of thing? No, it's just a single day game. Oh, okay. So tonight I'll be watching the NFL draft.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Although we don't have a
0: first round pick, we got two. Yeah, so we, haven't really a we haven't had first round. We well, haven't had first round pick in like yeah because you have a Super Bowl champion. That's why.
1: No, we we you know what our our GM Les need says. He has a t-shirt that says F them picks because we'd rather just trade the picks and get like actual real
0: people. That I know. saw Aaron people. Donald just sold his $6.3 million home and bought a $17 million home that has a gym and it has like all these different, and you know, like yeah. a man, like he had a movie theater, not an entertainment room, not a media room, not a man cave, but a movie theater. And your point mm-hmm. is. He spent $17 million.
1: (laughs) When you make, uh, you know, 20 something million a year,
0: you know. Listen, listen, I I once was in a $100 million home. Whose home was that? The co chairman of Bechtel. Wow. And he had the largest collection of baseball memorabilia outside of Cooperstown, which is why I was there to see it. (laughs) Wow. It was unbelievable. (laughs) And listen to this, to show you how exclusive this was, it was in Naples, Florida, drove up to the gate at the gated community, drove in, and to get to his house, you drove up to a second gate in the gated community in the gated community. So he Uh, was afraid, I guess he was afraid the riffraff neighbors in the regular gated community would come in and rob him. Apparently. (laughs) Or or,
1: uh, is this neighborhood like uh, where Bill Gates lives?
0: Yeah, right. That's right. With a gated community. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All right. All right. So, yes, we do have a guest coming up. Hopefully he had a, 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 some technical issues, but we're hoping that we'll be able to work through those. We'll tell you who that is in a minute. But before we do that, and once again, I'm looking at the wrong camera. Once we do that, uh, I just want to say we have been on, I would say, a, a pretty nice little roll with the weekly I always say happy hour, but what's the official name
0: of these things this year? This year, it's the even more joyous hour, because it's year three. Last year was the happier hour. Yeah, that.
1: I'll I'll just just say that. So yeah, we've been on a roll. Yesterday was really interesting, because somehow, I learned learned a couple of things about you that I didn't already know, which is kind of amazing when you think of that. But one thing I learned you are is it is it fair to say you are a fan of genghis khan
0: yes fair to say i mean rel- i mean with a lot of caveats <laughs> that's pretty yes. interesting <laughs> yeah yeah no look the guy was a, he wasn't just a murdering you know a mur- a murdering conqueror he actually was also a city builder and he was a true city builder in the tradition of as was by the way, Alexander the third, me aka Alexander the Great, they weren't they, these guys again, it just proves human beings are insanely complicated. And believe me, Genghis Khan did some horrible things, but the guy also made a point of multiculturalism in all uh, in the cities that he, he actually conquered. He didn't kill off the citizenry and do stuff like that when he fought a war, he fought it against the armies of the, uh, uh, the opposition. But what he did do was he would um if the cities were not multicultural he made sure they were he would bring people you know and again the 13th century so i'd say probably some of the methods of getting people there weren't so great (laughs) but uh but the concept options yeah no believe (laughs) me they had no options i mean genghis khan was still ruthless but uh (laughs) there's a great book uh by a guy named, a great biography of Genghis Khan by a guy named Jack Weatherford, who's also the leading scholar in the world on the guy, but he's also a very good writer. And if people want to read a really, really good book on it, it's called Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World by Jack Weatherford. He also has a um, uh, a uh, uh, another book he just put out on Genghis Khan and the creation of religious freedom in the modern world wow. or something like that just came out i haven't read that one yet and then he has another one on the whim, the the uh prince what did he call it the princesses of of genghis khan basically the women the women who were involved with genghis khan who were in lead weren't like concubines he's talking about leadership positions wow. you know the women yeah again the guy was insanely progressive even though he was a little bit on the I mean for my taste, probably a bit too ruthless, but <laughs> just a <no>. tad. You <laughs> yeah, know, I was more of a, a Kubla Khan kind of guy. Yeah, I, mean. I was no fan of him. I mean, was, <laughs> that guy was just more of a big fat guy living off his grandfather. Living off his grandfather. Right? But
1: I, I will yeah. say my probably my uh uh the con I really appreciate the most would be Shaka Khan. I knew that uh, was so yeah, you know, I, I just thought I'd put that out there, but you know, so I learned I, that. And it's funny because that came up, once again, you know, we should really start making sure we do official invites to the, you know, whatever we call the happy hour. Uh, To everybody here that joins us on the show, we would really like to see you. And I think you'd really have a a lot of fun joining us on these the joyous happy hour thingy. Um,
0: E-M-J-H.
1: Yeah, that. (laughs) Join us on that. Because where else could you get a conversation that Starts with Elon Musk goes to Genghis Khan and Kublai Khan. Didn't mention Shaka Khan yesterday, but that was my fault. But then we also uh, got introduced to somebody, uh, Alfie the Wise from the No,
0: (laughs) Alfie the Wise. Yeah, Michael Caine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, Michael Caine. Alfonso the Wise. Alfonso the Wise. He was the king of Castile, really, with Spain generally, but the king of Castile in uh, 13th century Spain. And he was actually, see, I have a prevailing theory, and this is a genuine, this is no joke with me here, this one, that the Renaissance started in the 13th century, not the 15th century, right? And that the Black Death, as opposed to the precursor event to the emergence of the Renaissance, actually interrupted it. Right, and yeah. that one of the key um, harbingers is, <laughs> right, one of the, pretty good, that's not a bad one, Mitch, I have to say. <laughs> one of the harbingers of that, I mean, one of the the, the the leaders and the key people in the creation of Renaissance was Alfonso El Sabio, Alfonso the Wise of Spain, Al, which is Alfonso the Tenth, right, he was, he was. Look, he was a very good general, and he did all the things that general kings do. But he also fostered uh, a, a court that encouraged artists and philosophers and uh, writers and scientists and engineers to create new things. And in fact, uh, and and he was. He had no problem with um, with uh, um, the Moors. You know, the 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 Muslim. Yeah. The Muslim leaders of the period exactly. they populated his court, it was joint Spanish Catholic, more yeah. Jews, the Jewish population. Well, the Moors
1: didn't the, the Moors weren't they the ones that kind of saved the uh the all that Roman culture and, and history yes. and all that and transferred it over into Europe as they came over? And yes. so, a lot of that, that history and that culture might have been lost if it were not for. Were the Moors.
0: They were a remarkable people. and They are still, really. I mean, the, the descendants are remarkable people. I mean, you're talking... Most of the Moors were, um, at that time, were from North Africa for the most part. Not entirely, right. but for the most part. Yep. Um, but what, what Alfonso did is he funded incredible amounts of things that became art and science and philosoph- philosophical foundations. And yep. he himself designed the... Um, the navigation tables that, that um, the, maritime, the maritime world used until I think, I want to say it was Copernicus or Galileo, somebody like that actually um, you know, uh, re- did a new set. So the maritime tables for navigation the, were designed by him and lasted for like four. Really? Yeah, it was three or four centuries as the foundational tables that all sailors used. Well, did for, my boy did my boy
1: uh prince henry
0: the navigator use those probably okay he was what he was 16th century right no so he was
1: 1440 ish okay yeah then
0: the, the answer is more than likely yes meaning i mean by that time alfonso's were the, the tables were the, the established uh um default that you would use it just okay. it was just the natural thing it was cool. like us using a dictionary, you know, Oxford or Merriam-Webster, you just use it because it's the dictionary, right? So it's like that. There you All go. Right.
1: There it is. All right. So okay, Mark. so uh, what's it? So we worked in Alfie the Wise. I was actually more Alfie the 10th. I mean, the 9th, not the 10th. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I know a lot more of about... people say that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I know more about Alfonso Ribeiro than I do about Alfonso <laughs> the Wise. But it's good that we worked it all in. All right. I see our guests is in the green room. So before we bring him out, you know, I, I wanted to introduce a, a kind of I'm tying out all these little new segments. So here's a new segment. I, and, and Paul doesn't even know this. So. No, I don't. So it's, I always like to spring stuff on on because he's venerable. And I know he can take it. So uh,
0: that's right. So, so <laughs> more New York, I can take it.
1: Yeah, well, there it is. Well, you, can make, right? you can make it there. You, well, anyway, it, so I mean. <laughs> so. I wanted to introduce a little new segment, uh, you know, voices from around the industry, and so uh, Paul knows that I started doing a, a series on you know, on privacy and customer data privacy, and uh, I'm doing it with uh, Tages uh, Gajja and Raju Vegesna from Zoho, and so we recorded a show yesterday, and you know, when you think of Raju, you think of you know, extremely smart. Uh, kind of really low-key. He's one of those people that, you know, he doesn't take himself as serious as everybody else because when they hear him speak, he always drops pearls of wisdom. So very measured, very smart. So I wanted to play this little clip uh, of Raju talking about his feelings about the metaverse that came up during our, our, our show yesterday. So check this out.
2: An article um that we had shared earlier about if the metaverse can coexist with data privacy laws
1: I gotta admit i didn't read any of this because uh, I don't give a damn about metaverse uh, <laughs> fair because, enough yeah i don't i don't <laughs> I don't like wasting you know my brain cycles on on this useless crap, so yes <laughs> sorry okay. so as I was saying, very measured very, <laughs>
0: very, very you know, not that controversial. <laughs> What do you think of that,
1: that Raju? Well,
0: oh, uh, look, uh, Raju, it depends. Look, from my standpoint, honestly, first of all, given the the hype part, I'm 100 percent with him on that part. <laughs> Is there something to it? Maybe, but I'm I'm a little more um, a little more undecided whether I think it's worth anything other than you know <laughs> Facebook trying to push its company a little harder. Um, so, I do I. Th- is there a concept that is underlaying it somewhere that might be a value? Well, yeah. If you're looking at the fact that um, there's some value potentially in augmented reality and virtual reality and things like that. And secondly, that there's some value in the idea of a unified whole, which is part of the other aspect of the meta- metaverse. But do I, am I buying into all the crap that I see out there about it? And then, no, no i it's like clubhouse again you know it's almost like clubhouse Uh-oh. except at a bigger scale meaning on the one hand there's value in the concept on the other hand there's so much crap around it it doesn't matter right so um that it's hard to right. find the value yes Mitch's it is totally right, right. all right <laughs> okay. so that's yeah, that's it in brief so
1: sounds sights and sounds from the industry leaders if there's something that you think we should you know, showcase on the show. I keep on looking at the wrong hammer. Uh if there's anything you think we should showcase on the show, let us know. We'll be glad to, to put it out there and and uh you know react to it. How about that? We we could do some industry reactions. I like that. Okay. All right. So now I turn it over as I usually do to the venerable Paul Greenberg to introduce today's guest.
0: All right. Well, this one this one's actually, well, they all are special in their own way, but this one is like a big deal special because this guy, well, I will say his name in just a minute. This guy is somebody who literally transformed pretty much the business world and not just the technology aspect, but the business world in general. Um, Nowadays, if you look around at vendors, you know, you hear a lot of the tech vendors talk like Oracle and SAP to be exact among others. But you hear them talking about the experience economy you see a million other vendors are talking about CX you know and customer experience even though they may be misidentifying what they're actually talking about um, but one way or the other customer experience is at the forefront of um, of business and of in you know and it broadens to other things beyond business so it's just not the word customer involved at that point but but ultimately you t- you're talking about somebody who has literally brought? I'm going to put it in a funny way, but brought the right brain into business. You know, in a, in a in a truly fundamental way. And he and his um, his his friend, partner, co-author uh, James Gilmore wrote a seminal book on this. And not only that, this guy is a wonderful person, a truly just great guy. And we bonded, of course, over our mutual love for the Yankees a long <laughs> time ago. And it was a long time ago. We've known each other a long time. What a shock. Though, I, don't, I don't think we've ever met in person. I was trying to think about it. I don't think we have. But I, I want to introduce you to someone whose name will be probably known to you regardless. And that is my buddy and
2: this amazing pioneer, Joe Pine. And there he is. Thank you, Paul. What a what an introduction. I appreciate that. And and <laughs> When I stopped watching, Yankees went ahead four two. Just in case. You know, <laughs> yeah,
0: I was about to tell you the same thing. <laughs> I mean, no, there's no disrespect ever intended, but
2: yeah, I got, I've got it on my TV above my monitor, right? <laughs> <laughs> but just for you, Paul and Brent, right? I paused it just to, uh, you know, <laughs> Wow. Just oh wait. So if the, if the,
0: let me ask you a question to just set some groundwork before we start talking. If the score changes, do you want me to not say anything?
2: (laughs) Yes, don't say anything. I'll be watching. Okay,
0: all right. (laughs) Because you'll start up. Okay, I'm just to be. I will. But if I break out into a gigantic smile or you see me get (laughs) mad, that's all right. Pretty much a clue. Figuring out clues are fine.
2: (laughs) Okay. And I was trying Uh, to think. I I do think we met somewhere. I try to remember like 15 years ago, but I for some reason. Well, I was
0: I was literally I was I for some reason. I thought initially it was something to do with Peppers and Rogers Could but have been. way back. But then I remembered, no, that was somebody telling me about you and Martha <laughs> okay. at a meeting talking. And I came up in the conversation with the two of you and somebody was literally telling me that, right? So that I remembered. Well, I guess, well yeah. partly I
2: said, because your face is too familiar to only have been well, only have done... same, yeah, but I, I you know, your oh, face, oh, my that's face, Brent's face,
0: familiar. we're pretty much like all over the place, so- three of us really. So I, I've got a question which actually I don't think I've ever actually talked to you about this. And what even made you think about the experience economy as <laughs> as an idea? Like what where did it come from? Right. I guess
2: I'm it, it, totally pe- curious. People people use the word epiphany a lot and, and it wasn't even an epiphany. It was a blurt that then we go to epiphany. I, as you know, my my first book was mass customization, right? And I'd often talked about how mass customizing a good turns it into a service, you know. And I give all the economic distinctions between goods and services. You can see that if you mass customize the good, you're really in the business of helping people figure out what it is, is that they want. Then you make it and deliver it to them individually, right? And doing things right. on services are done on demand. Goods are inventory, you know those those sorts of things. And I did that once, and this was back in late 93 or early 94, so that's how long ago it was. Christ and this, uh, this uh, guy in the back of the room at this workshop I was doing, sort of uh, uh, you know, was sort of a smart aleck, and he raised his hand. And he said, well, hey, you talk about service companies that mass customize. What does it turn a service into? And I said, mass customization automatically turns a service into an experience. Hmm whoa that sounds good <laughs> I'm, gonna that down. I'm gonna use that I'm gonna right, use exactly. That. i'm gonna use that so literally it was a blurt right it just came out <laughs> but then i thought about it and then that's where the epiphany happens so you know this is really true if you design a service that's so appropriate for somebody you can't help but make them go wow and turn it into a memorable event i right? turn it into an experience and therefore experiences would be a distinct economic offering therefore you'd have an economy based off of experiences and and everything flowed uh, from that—that uh, that, uh, almost thirty-year-old blurt. <laughs> <laughs> that well, was I, one hell of a blurt, I tell you I, that. Sure. I think if I knew who that guy was, I would thank him. I'd make him sure <laughs> out of an that. I was always hoping you'd come up and say, "Hey, I was that guy." <laughs> so after the blurt
1: occurred, and, and and it formulated something in your mind, and you you guys worked and did the book, did you see people? get it right away or what happened (laughs) how long did it take for them to actually realize wow this is really something here
2: yeah it's funny i was just talking to my daughter about that this morning (laughs) uh for you know tangential reasons but but i told her that you know people used to argue with me right when i first started talking in the 90s in particular into the early 2000s i would say people argued with me that no that's not happening there's really just a different sector of services and so forth and around about uh, you know, 2008, 10, certainly by the time the updated edition came out in 2011, I just noticed that nobody ever argues with me anymore. They just go, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was, I was what I was telling my, the reason they came up with my daughters, we were talking about chickens. She raises, she and her husband raised chickens, you know, as part of their little, little growing family there. And I said, yeah, one of my, when people argue with me to be able to show this shift in the progression of economic value, I would talk about how, how people, it's just the fact that fewer and fewer people produce commodities and goods and services, and it's all shifting up towards experiences. And my favorite question to ask when somebody objected was, was you know, raise your hands, how many people here have ever killed a chicken for dinner? You know, and, and there'll always be some, right? And everybody else would look at them like they were crazy because they could not imagine ever wringing a chicken's neck, plucking those feathers. And, and cooking uh, dinner with it. And, uh, and then I then as I go through the progression, I'd ask, how many people here still ch- still change their own oil in their car? And there'd always be fewer people that change their own oil in their car than there were people who had killed chickens for dinner what? at some <laughs> point in their lives. It was just an amazing That's thing. That's crazy.
0: Holy God. Well, of course, you know, now I'm literally going full vegetarian chicken was yeah. the only thing I was eating. right but well okay so here's the funny thing so here we fast forward you know wow 20 almost 30 years later um and what you see is you see acceptance so wide of what you have talked about that it's funny in a way occasionally although not most of the time but occasionally i run across person will just sort of say experience economy i say did you read the book and they'll go what book Right, right. So- they just, it's, just, it's just part of their their living, it's part of their life that you know, and they've been inculcated so strongly with their concepts and ideas. On the other hand, as I'm sure you've seen and I've seen, given you know, that I've read both the original and the 2011 version of the books, um, and also the fact that I spend a lot of time in that world, I've seen a lot of misuse of it too. And you know, like I, I'm of the uh, now. And people will tend, like when I'm reading what you're talking about, one of the things that I found for me really, really important was the distinction that you tend to make between the overarching kind of customer experience, which I and people like, say, Bruce Tampkin or somebody, and you in the book in a different way, design, uh, you know, call, um, you know, way I put it is how a customer feels about a company over time. Okay, that's the big overarching experience. And then what you're talking about, in addition, you you distinguish that between. I think you call it modular. I call it consumable, but it's the same thing. Right. Where you can you can actually create those, right? Um, right? Where you can't create the overarching experience. That's that's an that's a you know something that happens over time that is that is emotional and uh, technology is not going to create it, right? So it might get people mad at the technology, but you know the reality is, but that distinction gets. Absolutely blurred by a lot of companies, and I'm not gonna name any names particularly, who call their technology say CX, that it really isn't. Right. Because there is no, CX technology in the big way can, can't exist. Technology isn't gonna create how a person feels about a company over time. It can have some impact on it, maybe, but it's not going to create it. Where the modular experiences, the you know, the consumable ones, can be created via some, you know, it's technology as a enabler and supporter. So how do you deal with that?
2: Because
0: I'm i constantly getting frustrated by dealing with that, to be honest. And I, I how do you deal with it? Because you're the guy, you're going fr- to be my mentor I mean, here.
2: Yeah, I get frustrated a lot too uh, with that. And one of the things I liked about, you know, what I call the green book, although as I see it on my shelf over here, it's only two-thirds green, it's one-third CRM, maybe 60-40, blue, I mean. But anyway, is that you always, Paul, always did recognize that difference and, and would be able to say this when you're talking about which. Um, but most people, when they use the term CX or customer experience, they they are not talking about memorable events. They're not talking about distinctive no. experiences, like to say, in no. this context. They're actually just talking about good service. Right? That's right. all CX gets you good service. All the technology you're talking about gets you good service that they um, they um, <clears throat> um, that, that, that when they basically talk about is let's that, make our, our interactions with customers nice and easy and convenient. And those are all well and good, but they're service characteristics. I mean, right. nice is nice, but rarely does it rise to a level of memorability. Right? And, that, and a distinctive experience has to create a memory. If you did not create a memory, then it wasn't an economic uh, distinctive experience. And uh, when we talk about making things easy, what it often devolves into is we routinize things for our employees, make it easy for them to serve customers. And that gets in the way of being personal. And experiences are inherently personal. They actually happen inside of us. As a reaction to the events that are staged in front of us. That's one of the key distinctions. Services, commodities, good services exist outside of us. Experiences happen inside of us. And then finally, gotcha. convenience is the antithesis of what I'm talking about because uh, it means get, get in and out as quickly as possible. Let's, let, let, as a company, let's spend as little time with customers as possible. Hmm. When with experiences, what people value is their time. right? Services, in, in short, are time well saved, nice, easy, convenient, but experiences are time well spent that they value that time that they spend with the company and the experience that they stage, and they're very distinctive.
0: How, well, you know what? Oh,
1: go ahead, Bruno. I'm sorry. I was just curious. How difficult is it for companies to, to make the transition from trying to get 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 off the phone as quickly as possible with the customer customer to wanting to really engage the customer in a, in a meaningful way that creates the kind of experiences that uh, you're kind of talking about here? Because it seems like they're counterintuitive. And companies think this way, and you're talking about right. this way. How hard is it for them to make the U-turn?
2: It's incredibly hard. I mean, it, it really is a mindset issue that they have a mindset that, that uh, includes getting people off the phone as early as possible, because that's being productive. we got to be productive, right, and so forth, and not recognizing the value in spending time. And so sometimes it takes drastic measures to, to change, or, or I'll say – Sometimes it takes stopping a drastic measure, which is, in contact centers, average handling time. Stop measuring average handling time. Stop measuring how little time we spend with customers. Right. And like Zappos, let people spend as much time. Instead, measure the success of the calls. Measure the you know, Zappos calls it personal emotional connections. Measure, measure the connections that we have uh, with customers rather than, than measure how little time we spend with them. And that can then change the mindset, but it's a chicken or egg problem if you don't have the right mindset, just the, the fact that you would not measure average handling time for many people just would like blow their minds. So, no, it couldn't possibly do that.
0: Well, you know, and it's fascinating because, you know, years ago I was, I was trying to work this all through. Cause the other thing I think happens a lot, and this is, I don't know if you think the same, but I think people confuse customer engagement with customer experience a lot. Right. And they're, they're, uh, the engagement leads to the experience, but it's not, it isn't the same thing, right? And so, uh, so I wrote a book in 2019 on customer engagement, and so I did a lot of research. And and one of my longest-term stories was always using um, when I was talking about created experiences. I was talking. I always would talk about because one I just find funny uh, American Girl stores. Yeah. Um. Because you know your daughter and your and the dad typically go into the store and the. Girl already has a doll, and uh, the daughter has a doll, and the doll has a story associated with it already. And that story leads to selling a lot of merchandise, like, you know, Amish beds and shaker beds and Mm -hmm. things like that, that are part of it. And that adds to the price. But then you go to the store and you bring your doll, and it's dressed in her best shaker dress, and the story is associated with it. And you have lunch with your doll, you get a haircut with the doll, you watch a play with the doll. As far as I know, the doll actually has no idea they're eating lunch, getting their hair cut or watching the play. <laughs> but your daughter sure does. Yeah. And you walk out $400 poorer, right? But <laughs> your daughter walks out with a gigantic smile yeah. on her face and she loves every minute of it. And I would tell that story and I'd ask audiences, dads in the audience, well, first I'd say, how many people here have done it? And dads and moms would raise their hand. I said, how many wouldn't do it again? Usually I get one person and I would yeah. just say, you're a Scrooge. And then I forget <laughs> about them, right? That right? literally, yeah. that's all I would do. But that to me was like in a remarkable way of going to your point. Now, let me throw out another thing though. So I'm looking at, but one of the, let's say one of the ways you start looking at it on a more contemporary level, meaning something that's more recent to your exact point on the misappropriation and use of the idea you start hearing things as simplistic as uh, happy employee equals happy customer, right? That's not true. Right. I mean, yeah, happy employees, part of it, but the reality is, as I've tried to tell people, okay, happy employee, bad technology. The customer says you're a really nice guy, but I'm never shopping with you again. <laughs> right. So <laughs> this not, and that goes to your service discussion. Right. right. So how do you deal with, how do you, how do you, in effect, create the sim- simple idea of the complexity of this?
2: Because well, you know, first to start with American Girl, I've long said it was the best retail experience in the world. And the amazing thing about it, of course, is they're not a retailer; they're a manufacturer. Right? They actually make the dolls. You know, a lot of the best, a lot of the best retail venues in the world are from manufacturers, not retailers per se, because so often they don't, uh, they don't get it. Um, and uh, and they, they, you know, the the original Mer- American Girl in Chicago was the case that the average person that walked through that store, the average girl walking through the store anyway, didn't leave for over four hours. If you can imagine that four hours in a wow. four-foot facility is wow. un- because you would do all of these experiences. And oh, by the way, you pay admission for. Right? You can go in there and spend hundreds of dollars without buying a thing, just for the admission fee uh, experiences. Wow. And uh, and I'd often I'd often do. Uh, experience expeditions where right? I take people to various cities and have them experience, things, including if we're in Chicago or New York or LA, you got to go to the American girl just to see it. And I'd often tell people like who didn't have girls or, or from, you know, like I bring people from foreign countries over. I said, okay, you, you may not get this. Here's all I want you to do. Watch this kid's faces, just watch right. the girl's faces and then you'll get it right. I mean, what's going on. Exactly, right. That's that memory. All hey, right, so we, how do
0: you go ahead?
2: Go ahead. I, I just wanted to. We got a really interesting uh
1: question here uh from Wim, but before we go to Wim, uh, Larry Augustine, uh, we've known Larry for a long time back yeah. like going back to his sugar CRM days. Uh, the example he uses is uh, for creating unique experiences, Abercrombie and Fitch, Larry. I need you to check out the uh, documentary on <laughs> Hamakari and Fitch on Netflix. And I would love
2: to get your take after watching that about that example. But well, well but to, to Paul's point about happy customers, happy employees, not equal happy customers. Right. The fact that you have discrimination against employees and not necessarily equal not happy customers. Either, well, that's right? true. You know, the- a lot's going on. There. That's true because there were definitely a
1: lot of unhappy employees. <laughs> employees right, <laughs> for that. Right. Okay, so uh, Wim, man, we, I haven't heard from Wim in a long time. Yeah, either have so I. I mean, hey,
0: man, how the, are absolutely. you?
2: Absolutely. So I know Wim.
0: <laughs> oh, he, Good. He's, had a, he's in Europe. He, there, there was a group a few years ago that was ad hoc created, uh, founded back in 2008, 2009, called the Accidental Social CRM Community. And it was, and Wim was one of the, um, one of the core. The charter members. That. Yeah. Brent, Brent and I were involved with it. Wim, Wim was one of the people involved. We've known him for years. Now. I was in Europe once and he and I traveled around a little bit together. All right. So his question, kind of a question, comment, kind of thing. Wow. A- AHT Zappos, is this
1: 2022 or does it just mean that dominant thinking in business has not progressed in the past 10 plus years?
2: Well, it, there, are, there are many sectors of the, the economy where it has not progressed much. And two we just talked about, contact centers and retail, right? They, they, those are two that still don't get it, don't understand what the possibilities are, don't understand that, that, that somebody calling in with a problem is a sales opportunity <laughs> you know, that, that, uh, that you can handle in the contact center, uh, and you got to spend time to be able to figure that out. But there are others that uh, other sectors that do get it and have made tremendous strides. Like I said, manufacturers in particular go into retail or, or create flagship experiences, like the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin or the Heineken Experience in Amsterdam, uh, Volkswagen's AutoStadt, uh, and so forth. Um, those are the companies that more get it, and we, and and there's been a lot of progress made in. Um, you know, I think in, in technology industries and in financial services and hospitals in particular, although there's still a lot of work to go. But but, you know, I've actually worked probably more with hospitals and other healthcare companies than any other industry in the world for the simple reason that research shows that the better the patient experience, right, the experience that patients have, the better the outcomes that they get. And that's mm. really what hospitals are about. Is that better outcome? So there are just scores and and, and, you know, and scores of examples of hospitals that really create a great experience and focus on that. But it does, again, require rethinking, require some remeasurement, requiring, uh, you know, analogous to the concept center is our job is not to get the person out of the hospital bed as soon as possible, right? That's not the job, even though that may be how you get paid, right? It's, it's, the, out, it's the end outcome, and that often requires being in contact with them and, and so forth. But again, but again, it's where the, you know, the payment system in hospitals, the measurement system in hospitals is so screwed up relative to other industries because you have third-party payers instead of the person having the experience, having the control over the purse springs of how much you get from that experience that, that it tends to, to screw things up.
0: So, okay, so let's, you know, now, because not just because of COVID, just because of the general way the world's working, you know, and it's something Brent and I have, communicated a lot of times you know there's a big seismic generational power shift going on and you know and and when I say that's not just in business it's globally you know millennials and uh gen zers are starting to pretty much dominate the workforce and they're moving into millennials especially especially on the older side are moving into positions of genuine influence and and business control and and becoming the decision makers and they consume differently when I say that, you know, all kinds of content, they consume it very differently how, and they respond very differently. Again, in the long run, like every generation, you always end up like your parents. That's just the end, at the end <laughs> of it all. It's just a that's, matter that's of time. Always,
2: it's the, exactly. But it's the stuff going on in between. Right. Right? Well, and you know, you know, when you do it, when you start complaining about that next generation. That's, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Those damn kids. Exactly. exactly. When I was growing up,
0: right? So, uh, <laughs> But how do you, how does the, I, so, and a lot of the, you know, I think it was the millennials were the first generation that people called digital natives. Um, And they've actually impacted our generations too, Gen X and baby boomers. So how do you start thinking about it in specific here, as opposed to generally, because I assume it's generally the same, but how do you start thinking about the, Concepts that you put forward, given that the experience economy is pretty much what people are calling things now at the same time, but the people calling it that tend to be Gen Xers, right? So how do you start looking at millennials and Gen Zers and designing and creating the memorable moments for them as opposed to what has been the historic way that we've done it as we were coming into... You know, right. Well, power.
2: yeah. A couple of things is first of all, I, whenever somebody brings up generations, I always want to want to talk about the fact that differences in generations are merely shifts, not wholesale changes. They're merely shifts in hundreds of bell curves. <laughs> and okay. when you right, when you get down to every individual, the fact that you know that they're a member of gener of a particular generation tells you nothing about right. who who they are as an individual and what they want. Right. And that's where the modularity, the consumability, as you call it, of experiences is so important that you still need to treat them as an individual living, breathing human being and not say, oh, you're a Gen Xer, therefore, you know, why, you know this is true, because that's simply not, not the case. Um, but, but, but as you look at the agglomeration of all those bell curve shifts, yeah, there are some differences that, that, that come about. The most obvious one is, of course, the fact that they, uh, the rise of social media, and how embedded they are you know like uh i just as you i told you paul i just got back from hawaii this morning right taking a red eye but you know i at the it's sort of like i you know i take various pictures of things during the day my kids love asmr videos so i try and get like a water like slowly and i take a video and um you know some of the golf courses i did just like see where i am and um and then the next morning, I'll upload and send them because I don't want to send. I don't want to, you know, I don't know if they have their phone on or not. I don't want to them at night because it's too late. And they should be asleep, etc. Why? Right? And and because that's like because it's not social media. Is it like immediate to me? It's like you know I got to do it now, right? No, I don't. I'll just do it in the morning. You know, sometimes I forget. And it's a little later, you know, but it's a very different fire for those that are totally immersed in it. becomes part of it. I can still remember when i used to tell clients that the worst thing that can happen is if a customer pulls out their their phone in, in the middle of your experience because it means they're leaving your experience effectively right they're immersing themselves in what's going on, on the phone and now obviously that's not true i'm sure that was one of these things i was an old you know fogey that said this stupid thing that people said no 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 it means they're actually into the experience i mean and obviously it's a generality but they're into the experience they want to share that experience they want to. Uh, make note of it and so forth. And that's a good thing. So now you design ways for them to use uh, social media in there. So I think have you know, that's obviously the biggest difference. And, uh, and there are many others, like, like you've said about digital. I also think you know, the millennials are the first, first generation to grow up in, in the experience economy, right? Not just right. in the service economy, you know, in, in, in an experience economy. And that makes a big difference for how they treat things where it's sort of experience first and, and services and goods, uh, you know, second.
1: If I can just jump in and we we talk about, uh, commodities, goods, services, experiences, what is, how's the role of, you know, the, the, the subscription economy impacted the experience economy?
2: Well, so, so it, it's interesting. Its it, it, it Subscriptions are almost a sort of hybrid thing in my mind because um, whatever businesses you're in can actually economically be determined by what you charge for, right? That you, you are, as a business, what you charge for. If you charge for undifferentiated stuff, you're in the commodities business. If you charge for tangible things, you're in the goods business. If you charge for the activities your people perform, you're in the services business. And you're economically in the experience business if and only if you charge for time. That's Because that's, that's what people value is the time, time well spent. So it's, you know, it's a mission fee, a membership fee, a per play fee like a slot machine or, and, and various different ways of being able to do that. Most companies in any one of these economic shifts give away the next level of value in order to better sell what they have today. That's why Starbucks still doesn't charge a mission, but they're selling the, the experience that they have and so forth and mo- most, but there are some restaurants, there are some retailers that oh, yeah. for part of the mission for the whole place or places within the place again, like American girl retail that are making that shift, but still most people are giving it away. And, but so a subscription model has a time-based component that most services don't. And um, I'm not, and so I, my mind doesn't at least shifts you towards, even though you're generally getting a physical good I mean, whether it's a razor whether it's a magazine um, or but it can be services you're getting by subscription in in fact like you know the kid mowing my lawn every week and, and I actually don't have that my wife mows a lot but anyway the kid my every week, you know and, and paying that ex- subscription fee or you um, or for, or But it can be for an experience as well that you pay an, a subscription fee. So it sort of cuts across those, but it, it makes it sort of an event that something happens. It's, a, it's an event that you get this based off of a subscription.
0: So let me, let me sort of take it to a different place, because one of the things that's had a really unique impact on, I think, in terms of the, the stuff you've done, maybe not one you've looked at too deeply, but maybe you have um is on what what's now called ux you know the user experience on the technology side like for example one of the company a lot of companies will bring in you know basically designers you know genuine designers some of them i remember in four years ago created an entire design agency within their company that came from places like um oh what's the name of the purse maker um the one who makes um, Gucci uh, or Mike, Michael? No, Michael. Michael Kors? Michael Kors. The, the head designer for Michael Kors was actually one of the people that they hired. They said, Look, we can teach them about technology. We can't teach them what they're doing at Michael Kors, right? So they would bring in people like that and teach them technology and that, that their user interfaces and their navigation and user experience was designed. By those kind of art artists, basically, by people who are creatives and artists, and that has become a, a standard. Um, Oracle, which was, the, you know, if you're looking at it seven or eight years ago, this would be the last company you think would be doing this, but they're not. They're they're leading it. They're leaders now, and they've got a they've got um, a guy named uh, a team of Halel Cooperman and Jenny Lamb who are running what they call Redwood, and Redwood is a UI UX experience that's changed the nature of how people even look at Oracle and actually has had internal cultural impact, right? So, and a lot of what you're writing or you, you what you wrote and are writing um, are the things that impacted that thinking, right? So how how, how have you seen those kind of changes where... Being a, a, a technology company isn't just being a technology company. It's also, the, and it's not just putting out technology. It's also putting out something. I, 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 well, I don't hate to put it this way, but something that's pretty, right? right? I mean, and and that's that's important. Right. So, how do you how do you think in those kind of
2: that? Well, the, the are you familiar with Brenda Laurel's book, Computers as Theater?
0: No. Great book. Got it. Oh, I, I want that book.
2: Here's the here's the updated edition, right? Which is the craziest Oh, thing.
0: even looking at the cover, I
2: want that book. <laughs> but, so computers, I learned a ton. I mean, in the original subtitle of the experience kind was Work is Theater in Every Business of Stage. And a yes. ton of theater that I learned was from that book. And uh, <laughs> she does a great job. And one of the things she says is that we need to stop thinking of computer interactions as an interface, but as a as a medium. Right, a medium for experiences, right Mediums is which you have experiences, including the medium that we're in, that we're in now. Uh, and um, she quotes in there uh, Donald Norman, who's the guy who coined the term UX user experience, to, uh, talking about how the, the, the one thing that we don't tend to think about or design all these UX experiences is, is one of the most important things is time. Right, So the- theater is designing time. Experience is designing time. UX is designing time. If it's, if it's UX is generally a good or a piece of technology, as opposed to an immersive place that you have people right. in, but it's designing the time that people are spending with that good, with that technology, yes. so that it rises up to a climax and comes back down again, right? yeah. not flat. Right. And that's a key aspect that we have to do.
0: Part of it is is just making it enjoyable when you're using it. Like really liking most people think of the purely, you know, look, I wrote a piece a long time ago called, uh, uh, pardon me. Is that laptop, is that laptop a real Louis Vuitton? (laughs) Right. And, and well, because Intel and this other company whose name escapes me now, it wasn't Louis Vuitton did a study on style in technology. And they found, yes. this is in the 90s, no, early 2000s. And they found that um, that they asked two of the questions they asked. One was, um, does style matter to you when it comes to your technology? And 73% said yes. Mm-hmm. And then the other question they asked was, when you see other people's technology, are you looking for the style? Are you looking at the style? And, the, and 76% said yes, right? right? and so and this company, the answer they came up with as a result of the study was: to, I am not joking, to design kind of leather covers for laptops. I had you know, one. Of, I had a Lenovo leather leather covered laptop. <laughs> oh wow. my god! It's It was a horrible answer to the to the <laughs> result, but but the concept was right. And right. and enjoy. again, you know, this, people, you know, you have one life. You want to enjoy every aspect of it. And look, ar- arguably. Most people, when they're dealing with a the company, they when they, even they say they love the company, they don't love it like they love their spouse, right? They love it <laughs> like you know they love it because it's, you know, I'm a jobs to be done advocate. I've always yeah. been, and so from that standpoint, I have a job to be done. Your company is helping me do it one way or the other. You're doing something for me, or I'm interacting yeah. with you in a way that I get what I need done. So there's a utilitarian side. It is truly just simply utilitarian, but I want to enjoy the process while it's going on too i don't want to sit there and say oh god this is such a grind to get this from this company i want to actually to your point internally look i don't care if i'm delighted all day because i'm in the, i'm not one of these people who actually <laughs> like says customer delights a strategy you have to follow because that's not going to happen it's, you're not going to succeed if that's if you think customer delights to happen every single time you deal with a customer we're a madman right so um so but i do believe that light is what it's meant to be it you have that kind of experience that says wow every now and then it's important and now and then could be you know modestly frequently but not every time winning the, the world history, series every well you're anymore. not capable yeah that's <laughs> 2022 <laughs> Well, that's every now and then. That's Every 13 years we'll win a World Series. 13
2: years without a World Series is eternity in Yankee fandom. uh, You're not kidding. And it's why we
0: all bitch about Yankee every time, too.
2: Since
1: we're moving into a little bit of the sports, uh, I am a long-suffering Los Angeles Rams fan who just became very happy and delighted this year. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. (laughs) So um, I want to put it, I want to get in Sven's Question slash comment. Does UX belong to CX or vice versa?
2: <laughs> okay. What do you say, Joe? So so, so the primary framework we've been talking about is the progression of economic value, right? Commodities, goods, services, experiences. What I like to think of as commodities is no X. Right? There's no, <laughs> no experience with that. I mean, you no. can have a salt room, right? Or, or, you know, go in the Dead Sea and have an experience. But for the most part, that's no X. <laughs> UX, again, is about goods, right? That's what it is, like, where user experience is about the using of goods and how you make that using into an experience, ideally. CX, as I mentioned, is about is about uh, services. It's really nice, easy, convenient. And then experience, as I actually say, it's, it's just plain old X. It's just the experience. That's what it's about, is, is create that experience, that, that, that inherently personal uh, experience that they have, uh, again, because you're designing the time uh, with them. And I'll, I'll, I'll add one more on there is, is, uh, actually I'll add two more than I think about it. Uh, I'll add one more, which is TX. And, uh, that is the transformative experience. Okay. Um, I, I talk, we actually had an article come out in the Harvard business review, January, February issue called the new you business. And, and it's always been implicit in the experience accounting work, but it's, it's, um, it's about it's about how you use experiences to guide people to change, to help them achieve their aspirations. And that's a transformation. Right. So healthcare really is a transformation where it's about outcomes. You know, universities about transforming you. Fitness centers, management consultants, coaches of all stripes. You know, nobody ever hires them unless they have an aspiration. They want them to help achieve. So there is TX of transformation or transformative experience as well. And it is all wrapped up in that human experience, right? The HX. Because everything I talk about is economics, right? It's businesses. This is what businesses need to do to create economic value for their customers. But there's a whole lot of life that is not part of economics. There, there is, you know, there's they're having a child and and um, you know dinner at home with your with your loved ones and so on and so forth. All, a lot of the things we've done during COVID, taking a walk, you know, during COVID when you've been separated and so forth, right? There's no there's no economics going on. I'm not paying anything for that but yet it has tremendous value as part of that, that that core human experience. And one part of my thesis is that it used to be we were all responsible for that human experience. Now we increasingly pay people for larger and larger segments of that uh, because hmm. they can stage it better than we can do it ourselves. <laughs> That's... Makes complete sense. All right, Brent. So you got to get.
0: We're we're getting toward wrap up, so yeah, really important. Yeah, we really important, Joe. Actually,
1: usually I we end on one question, but I have to admit I I got two questions anyway. So (laughs) uh, I have three answers. So go. (laughs) (laughs) So knowing where you're where you're located, um, I'm gonna guess that you're gonna be okay with this uh, this question. So uh, do you have a favorite uh, NFL team? Yes. Who cool. is? the
2: Packers. <laughs> that's not where I'm looking. Right? That's okay. So no, that's you, fine. You, just a quick story to explain it cuz I've been accused of you <laughs> you only ever you only ever root for the great, you know, dynastic sort or of teams. Is is <laughs> I lived in New Jersey, first through third grade became a Yankees fan. Lived in California, fourth through sixth grade became a Lakers fan. Moved to <laughs> Minnesota when I was 11. I hated moving from California to Minnesota. I said there's no way I'm rooting for these Vikings. Who's their arch enemy? It was the Packers. I said, okay, I'm now a Packer fan. <laughs> wow,
1: I, I can't, uh, I can't blame you on that one. Uh. Uh, I'm just, I'm actually glad you aren't a Vikings fan because, as I said, I was a Rams fan and, and growing yeah. up in the '70s. I hated the Vikings because they knocked us out of at least two possibilities for the Super Bowl. Yeah. So you'll get no argument from me on that. All right, and now.
2: Okay, I got a Isn't big that a, Was that a question now, or is that, is that one of the Well, two? <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, that was a little bit of a statement on my part, but anyway, okay. uh, since you are in Minnesota, now this one will tell you how, how I proceed with you going forward. Because <laughs> it's been a really great conversation oh, well, up to this point. I didn't know <laughs> this was going to be <maybe> fantastic. One.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so is... um, my all-time favorite musician, I mean, ever, is a gentleman by the name of Prince Rogers Nelson who yep. happens to hail from that area. I'm not going to ask you as a year of favor or anything but uh, do you uh, do you, do you like any of Prince's music over the years did you
2: boy I really hesitate in responding to you Uh-oh. <laughs> No, I, I mean I I I actually I actually <laughs> basically never listened to pop or rock music other than what it was wow. like, part of the scene enforced on me Sorry, wow, I'm a so, classical jazz sort of guy, and that's what I what That's I no
1: problem. I mean, we no, got that that, and Miles Davis and, and John I've Coltrane. I looked at
2: Miles Davis last week on my, uh, my uh, uh, CD player and that. Um, I'll mention, in case you haven't seen, did you hear, this is just like in the last couple of weeks, that they unearthed this footage yeah. of a 10-year-old prince. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Saw that, right. Yeah. Oh,
0: Take my word for it. Brent's probably the guy who actually unearthed it. <laughs> 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 That's how devoted to Prince he is. I, and I definitely didn't unearth it,
1: but believe me, when it was, was it's like front
2: page news in Minnesota, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: oh, everywhere, I got, actually. Yeah, yeah, I got so many emails and text messages. Did you? Yes, I did. Thank you. Thanks for checking <laughs> in. But yeah, all right, no, you're good. All right. We will have you back because you. No, if you're willing, true. we would love I to. I didn't have pass you with back. flying colors, but at least I passed. <laughs> actually, anybody who, that? who says the make sure they don't say that the Patriots is their favorite oh, passes that's with flying the,
0: colors. That
2: <laughs> yeah, you, that's, anybody but Patriots or Red Sox fans. I mean, that's really oh amazing. okay. See, <laughs> I you know, I
0: listen. I will tell you, um, we have had discussions with like CEOs of companies who are. You know and they've been great discussions, and then they tell us that their favorite football team is the Patriots. <laughs> We've never seen or heard from them again, <laughs> right? So, an
2: undisclosed location <laughs> that's right.
0: You say you were talking about salt rooms, yeah, right? This is <laughs> say salt rooms with a lock on the door would be a good, a good description. Right. Only their hair head is above. Oh,
1: yeah, Larry, you are that is one of the all time. Uh, so, so Joe, if you just to check out, you know, something, Larry Augustine has really uh, hit it on it. So mm-hmm. the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, George Harrison went in by himself. He was already in as a Beatle, but he went yeah. in uh, as uh, as himself. Prince also went in that year. And so because George had already passed away, they had a, a group of all stars, including Absolutely. Tom Petty, Steve Linda, Jeff, Lee, like all the traveling Wilbury folks that were... So they did uh, this this group rendition of "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Check it out. I'll you I will look it up. Le- I'll look it up. And, and, and I would yeah, love to know what
0: you think. It's actually truly amazing. It was. It was beautiful. Yep.
1: All right, Wim. It was okay, great to Wim, hear from you, Wim. Take care, man. Absolutely. So, Joe, thanks again for making time, especially yeah. get right off the you know the. The the plane from Hawaii and <laughs> fighting the internet problems. Uh, we really do appreciate you doing this. This has been great.
0: All right. And I, I, of lovely. course, I will not reveal anything about what the score is, but, but I, I, I am a, watching.
2: I see a slight <laughs> smile on your face, just a little curl at the edges. Well, so that's you watch, it you'll see. You will see. <laughs> all right.
0: All right. Thanks, Joe. Man, it was right. Thank wonderful. Thank you. It truly was. Thank Take you. care. It was
1: Thanks, all right. So, with all that said. I get you know what I want to I want to do one thing okay this is a little different um cuz it's usually just in are you are, Netflix is having a terrible uh month did you see this yeah no I didn't shits wow. creek is dumping netflix and going to hulu
0: weren't you a big shits creek oh yeah I, I watched I binge watched the entire se- all seasons of it I I, I literally I think there were what seven or eight or something. I was I watched every episode in order. It was a fantastic show. Is that the reason why Netflix 60. stock just tanked? <laughs> I,
1: yeah, that's right. Because they lost Shit's Creek. All right, and then the last thing: how can we do a show uh, within the last couple of weeks and not mention Elon Musk? Did you see this? No. Oy.
2: What
1: he
0: what... is. Check out the number of replies, or you know, one hundred and
1: sixty thousand replies.
0: Look and look how many people actually uh, like three point eight million. Ay-ay-ay. Come on now, come on, people, grow up, folks. That's not even a good really. joke. No, it's not. Dang. That's what he thinks. It's a good joke. It's like he's so that guy. You want to talk about a genuinely socially awkward human being? It's him.
1: And uh, but apparently, eighty-eight million people follow him on Twitter. So yeah, there it is. And you know now he's the owner. All right, that was a really good show. I, I really enjoyed oh, that.
0: That was great. Yeah, I was literally one of my favorites this year. I mean, Joe is so engaging and nice, and I just again, I love the guy. I have for a long time. He's just he's just a great person, and he's and the, his impact is enormous. You know, I, I think that the vendors who are Pushing Experience Economy, Oracle, SAP. I would highly suggest, if you haven't already, that you engage with Joe. Bring him on. Have him speak. He's a very good speaker. As you can tell, just by his communication skills, Are really good. Um, he's a very good speaker. Pay the guy. Give him a speech. Give him some speeches. Work with him, maybe, in an advisory capacity. He, he does a lot of workshop stuff, and it's really good stuff. But you're going to talk about the experience economy, bring him in,
1: it's worth it. Now, you, you said he's a very good speaker. Is he also a very good driver?
0: <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I can't speak to that. Oh, okay, I, you but, know, but I, I can I, drive, but I can drive to his speaking. Uh, I, I was going I for the speak. what was that movie with
1: Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman, uh, where to, uh, Dustin Hoffman was the autistic guy, he, he was. I'm a very good driver.
0: Oh. uh What is that? Uh, something, oh, man. Rain Man. Yeah, Rain Man. Rain, yeah, man. Rain, man, Rain,
1: Rain man. man. That's it. That was a good movie. So when you said he's a very good speaker, I just immediately. got to be a very good driver, too, I'm sure. All I'll right. Let him know. <laughs> All right. So uh, we will see you
0: next week. Do we have... Yeah, we have yeah. Uh, somebody locked
1: in for next week. You want to? Yes, we
0: do. Do you want to say now or? Yeah, you, you can go ahead. We have, next week. We actually are taking the other end of the ex equals happy ex equals happy cx, and we're going to the ex side of it. We're bringing on Katrina Gazarian, uh, who I'll we'll talk about more next week. But um, let's just say she is a thought leader in the ex space um, and again really an engaging person also has incredible things like her her playbooks or her knowledge is just profoundly deep and so this will be a good one and we're going to take on and discuss EX for next week and join us for the what's that thing called the happy hour oh the even more joyous hour next Wednesday 3:30 p.m. um there'll be on Mon- every Monday Sometimes Tuesday, but mostly every Monday, I put up a notice on my LinkedIn profile about the happy hour. Go to my LinkedIn profile. There'll be a registration link for Eventbrite. Register, and then on Wednesday, the day of the thing at the uh, happy hour, I will at roughly one one thirty or so send you the link. Okay, and then that will bring you the Zoom link to come in and join us. Really, if you if if you're put on a wait list because we're oversubscribed we trying to. We typically try to keep it at twenty. We usually get around there, a little less. Um, but if we're oversubscribed, you'll be put on a wait list. I will actually let you in. Okay, so don't, don't, worry about it. Just register. So watch for it next Monday. Um, maybe next week. What we'll do is we'll actually put up a registration link in uh, that you can copy from this on on screen with, when Katrina's on too for going forward
1: cool i already think i got a topic for next week too
0: okay i'm gonna ask people i'm not
1: gonna tell everybody now
0: no no wait, no. Wait, don't wait let them it. think about it
1: yeah yeah i want to have the spur of the moment reflexive kind of
0: thing. all right It'll work all right
1: in the meantime i'm brent leary i'm paul greenberg and before we go we have to say hello to many before we say
0: goodbye to you all right Ooh, good, good tagline yeah that's our. <laughs> that's it. That's our tagline. It's here in players, before we say goodbye to you, we have to say hello to Minnie. That's our tagline. Sounds pretty good. We'll see you. Okay,